Well, hey there, unfuckers. It's me, Manny Faces. Listen, we're almost back from the break. I know you've been itching. We see you on the Unfuckers at All Facebook group. We're coming back. We're almost there. And yeah, we're almost at a million. So we have some good things to look forward to. And I hope that you like the special drops that we've been delivering over the course of our little break. Shouts to Best of the Left, the Big Clinton episode, etc. Today, we're going to do it one more time as I share the most recent episode of the other notable show that I produce, Newsbeat. Newsbeat, as you might know, is a social justice journalism podcast that incorporates music and very often original lyrical content from brilliant independent hip-hop artists. It's like Democracy Now! and Black Thought from the Roots had a podcast baby. This episode really ties into a lot of the themes and issues that are important to the UNFTR family and its audience, so Max thought it would be fitting that we shared it here in the feed. So, here it is. My sister was someone who, when we were going and talking to women on the street, had shared stories about how she had helped them, how, you know, she would give the the jacket off her back because someone was cold. If she had money and someone was hungry, or even if they needed something, you know, she was the first one to, to give up that, to give of herself. She had this beautiful smile that uh, lit up, you know, would make you smile when you looked at her. Uh, She'd walk in a room and light it up. She was just so gorgeous. She had this laugh that just came right from her belly that uh, you couldn't help laughing. You didn't even know why she was laughing, but you would laugh because it was so contagious. And she just had this personality that uh, was so outgoing that... You know, she was loving, she she always was affectionate with uh, her kids, with her friends, with her family. Every time we, we saw each other and departed from one another, it was always uh, love you forever and always to the moon and back, you know, kind of thing. And we never said uh, goodbye. We always said see you, see you later, because we, you know, we always, it wasn't goodbye. We knew we were going to see each other later. And, you know, she's someone that's left a hole, you know, there's within our family and it's, you know, every day we think about her, we, we go to sleep thinking about her, we wake up thinking about her and, you know, there's a knock at the door and we wonder, is that the police coming to tell us that they found her? The phone rings or, you know, there's a news report on the story that there's been remains found, you know, it. You just, your life is in limbo, you know, and I'm just a sister. Like my, my stepmom has, has suffered for the last 13 years, not knowing. And it's, it's hard to live life and go on without knowing. I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is Newsbeat. Hey, everybody. This is Manny Faces, producer, audio editor, and host of the award-winning Newsbeat podcast. We shine a light on underreported social justice issues through hard-hitting journalism and independent hip-hop music. That voice you heard at the top was Bernadette Smith, a Canadian First Nations politician and member of the Haneshanabe and Metis communities. Her younger sister, Claudette Osborne, vanished in 2008 at the age of 21, just one of the countless missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people, MMIWG2S, throughout Canada and the United States. Countless because, as you'll learn, nobody really knows how many there are with estimates into the tens of thousands across just these two nations throughout the decades. In response to the inaction of law enforcement and moved by the heartbreaking 2014 discovery of the weighted down body of a missing and murdered 15-year-old indigenous girl in the Red River of the North, which snakes along the Minnesota-North Dakota border into Manitoba and empties into Lake Winnipeg, Smith co-founded the group Drag the Red with others who had been missing family members and indigenous allies. They've been dredging its muddy bottom and scouring its murky brown waters for their loved ones and those of others ever since, giving grieving family members of murder and suicide victims at least some sliver of solace, no matter how minor it might be. Now, as our guests will explain, 
There's many reasons for these gruesome killings and disappearances, ranging from a profound lack of data, gross misidentification and law enforcement's refusal to investigate, to sex trafficking, interjurisdictional black holes, and blame games, and of course, the ripple effects of what has been centuries upon centuries of institutionalized racism and codified doctrines of extermination against indigenous peoples in both countries and many others throughout the world. Joining Smith in breaking down the historical and ongoing causes and perpetrators of this genocide and sharing some necessary immediate actions to help end it are Duanna Johnson, a Colville tribal member from the Arrow Lakes Band in Washington State and lead administrator of the nonprofit MMIW USA, and Mary Catherine Nagel, a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, lawyer, playwright, and outside counsel and policy consultant to the nonprofit National Indigenous Women's Resource Center representing a number of missing indigenous people's families who've lost loved ones. Translating the unimaginable anguish and fury permeating this crisis into incendiary hip-hop verses is our co-artist-in-residence, South Carolina by way of New York-based hip-hop fusion music artist, DJ, songwriter, and educator, Liquid. Now, to try and amplify awareness of this issue, we're doing a rare double drop with this episode. We're releasing it in the Newsbeat podcast feed as usual, but also in the pod feed of our dear friends over at Unfucking the Republic, aka UNFTR. Now, I engineer and edit both of these shows, so be sure to check them out wherever you listen to your favorite pods Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places. Please share the love of both shows and rate and review us wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to both of our free newsletters Newsbeat at newsbeat.substack.com and UNFTR at unftr.substack.com. Without further ado, Let's get into it. This is MMIWG2S, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit People. So in 2008, uh, my sister, who was 21 at the time, went missing in Winnipeg, Manitoba here. She was a mom of four. She had just had her fourth baby. Uh, My niece was two weeks old at the time. Um, She had been apprehended by Child and Family Services, which is child welfare, basically. And my sister, um, her case wasn't taken seriously by the police here in Manitoba. And my sister's um, story isn't one that's uh, unique, unfortunately, here in Canada. A lot of families have experienced the same thing that we've experienced. And I'll go through our story just so listeners have context about why it's important, you know, to raise awareness around the issue of MMIWG2S, which is Missing and Murdered Women, Indigenous Women and girls and two-spirited people. When my sister went missing, she she basically was written off by society here in Canada. People didn't care about the issue. They didn't come out and help our family when we were putting up posters, calling through the media for help to come out and, and search for her. It took the police 10 days to actually go out and start investigating. So we were on the ground as, as family trying to find my sister. It took the police 10 days to finally start investigating and we had to get political will behind us to actually get the police to do their job. We figured there were five things that played a role um, in how her case was investigated. First of all, she was Indigenous. Second of all, she was a woman. Thirdly, she did have a criminal record. She was a known drug user and she had... um, She was a sex trade worker, or uh, we call them exploited women here in Canada. So we figure all those things played a role in how her case was handled. In 2006, there was a study that was done by the Native Women's Association of Canada that was called Sisters in Spirit Report. And it came out that there were 600 Indigenous women that were missing since the 1970s. We know that there's way more women that uh, went missing prior to that. We also, through our work and advocacy, have worked with other families whose cases were never taken. The police wouldn't give them an instant report. They wouldn't take a report from them that they were missing. So it's undocumented. So we figure it's up into the 10,000s of Indigenous women and two-spirited people that are missing here in Canada. It's become this this issue that people have started to pay attention to only since about 2016. 
And that's only because there was a young girl, her name was Tina Fontaine, she was 15 years old. She was a young exploited girl who had come to the city, who had only been actually in Winnipeg for two weeks. When Tina Fontaine ran away from home, this is where she would come, to her Auntie Lana. But on Sunday, it was Winnipeg police at this family's doorstep. Police divers found Fontaine's body in the Red River Sunday. She'd been killed, then wrapped in a bag and tossed in the water. Investigators believe the 15-year-old was being exploited and had been working these West End streets before she disappeared. She was last seen on August 9th on Ellison Furby. They were looking for a man by the name of Farron Hall, and he was a homeless man who had saved two people from the river. He'd been living by the river. And he was given the Medal of Courage by the mayor of Winnipeg. And this particular time, he was seen struggling himself in the river. Nobody saw him come up, so the police were called. The divers were sent out to look for him. And they came upon this little girl. And it was only then that um, Canada was really galvanized. Canada started seeing this little girl as possibly their loved one, as their daughter, as their niece, you know, as someone who potentially could be one of their family members. And it brought people together across Canada. And it was the start of a conversation around a national inquiry, and it actually spearheaded a national inquiry to happen here in Canada. We begin with breaking news on the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. CBC News has obtained a copy of the Commission's final report ahead of its official release on Monday. And it is damning, calling the women's disappearance a Canadian genocide. We accept the findings of the commissioners uh, that it was genocide. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is bending to pressure from the National Inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, which say the country is guilty of genocide. But Trudeau stopped short of agreeing, instead accepting the finding. But our focus is going to be, as it must be, on the families, on the communities that have suffered such loss. It's a big thing here in Canada, and I know in the United States that they're starting to mobilize, and there's a lot of missing and murdered uh, Indigenous women or Native American women in, in the states that are missing. I want to talk about something that folks really don't talk enough about. Look at this number, 5,203. That's how many Indigenous women and girls were reported missing to the FBI in 2021. That is more than 5,000 in one year. That is two and a half times higher than any other race in the country. But the truth is, the real number is likely much higher because a lot of missing person cases, well, they go unreported. I'm aware that the quote-unquote MMIW movement began with that title in Canada, but the truth is, right, that our Native women and Two-Spirit relatives and our men for generations have been fighting for justice for our murdered and missing relatives. And we have been the population that has suffered the highest rates of homicide, really, I think, since the United States' inception. And that's not a coincidence. It's because the United States began the creation of the United States. The United States was formed out of violent acts and massacres committed against Native people. Oftentimes, Native women were targets, military targets, strategic political targets, because of who we are as citizens of sovereign nations that predate the United States, that the United States didn't want to exist anymore. So one of the goals of the United States military in the 1800s was to target Native women in an effort to eradicate tribal nations. The result of that is that we have incredibly high rates of violence against Native women and girls and, and Native men and Two-Spirit relatives as well today here in the United States. So for generations, our, our women and our Two-Spirit advocates have really advocated for more justice for Native victims and for an end to the violence. And in, in more recent years, that's kind of coalesced into this MMIW movement. And you know, there are a lot of different acronyms for it now. 
which I think is great. They're more inclusive terms like MMIP, missing and murdered indigenous persons. But you know, there is a recognition that women and girls are often targeted because of their gender and because their gender is female or slash woman. And that's, I think, an important component of the violence too, is that as it began, it was seen as a way of eradicating tribal nations because our women give birth to the next generation of citizens. And so if you're able to wipe out the women who give birth to the next generation of citizens, then then the goal, you know, could be accomplished to wipe out the nation entirely. Of course, that failed and we're still here today, but the violence remains. When you look at the levels of violence throughout Indian country here in the United States and in Canada as well, and in Mexico, just to the south of us, indigenous women are attacked and targeted at rates that when you look at it at the 30,000 foot level, it's an ongoing perpetuation of genocide. We have all been touched in some way or other um, by this missing and murdered Indigenous women in some form or another. I'm a survivor myself of domestic violence. We also have members on our team that have been directly affected and had family members that are still missing and some that have been murdered. Um, And I think that's part of it really fuels us and keeps us going, um, is because we are empathetic to this situation because we've felt it firsthand. Not to belittle or put down the genocide, the horrible acts that were enacted upon Jewish descendants and people in in Germany, the final act, it was a plan that was modeled after what happened to my people here. This is a situation that's been going on since 1492. One of the first earliest recorded instances of Our women being abducted was when our women and young girls were taken aboard Christopher Columbus's ships. Yeah, and it's something that's definitely still going on to this day. There is a significant percent of women that we don't know what what happened to them. They've just vanished. And a lot of this has been due to domestic violence or some other sort of violence that they've been experiencing in their lives. Um, And, ooh, yeah. Mr. Mr. No More Stolen Sisters, the callous of the white man's burden now blisters. Sister Mayflower hit the shores, a terror now devours our humanity's core. It's a racist declaration, demoralization, a blatant genocide for tribal eradication. Parents servicing a wound, a laceration. Families questioning authorities' investigation. The lack of litigiousness is based on her indigenous. The fact of the matter is the ploy is so meticulous. Women give birth to the next generation. So women are the target of the coronation. Girls plucked from their innocence before they get to bloom. Canadian colonial genocide of the womb. Fierce femininity puts patriarch in jeopardy. Male fragility, fierce two-spirit energy. They rather make an enemy. Instead of remedies with violence for existence But my breath is resistance Missing murdered indigenous women and girls It's time to shed light where injustice occurs Again, you know, 1492 with Columbus That was the first, you know, real documented instance Of us being trafficked um, and sold as slaves But this was also the Popple Bulls from the 1100 to the 1800s. 
the doctrine of discovery in 1493 played a huge part in that genocide. Um, also, most definitely manifest destiny. In 1893, the Supreme Court ruled that tribes are domesticated, dependent nations. Natives are not considered U.S. citizens, nor independent nations. So that right there is like totally, <laughs> it contradicts itself. But these are the kind of things that my people have, have had to deal with for hundreds of years. Broken treaties, the trail of tears. So many of our people have, have died along that walk. Um, and just to shed a little bit of light on, you know, the, you know, with Catholicism and the residential schools and how many babies, you know, children that, you know, we found buried that never got to come home. Secretary Deb Holland is trying to shine a light on a dark place in the country's past, releasing a first ever report that aims to capture the scope of the trauma inflicted on indigenous communities in the U.S. as generations of children were forced to attend federally run boarding schools. The languages, cultures, religions, traditional practices, and even the history of native communities, all of it was targeted for destruction. The initial report identifies 408 federally run boarding schools with 53 different burial sites uncovered so far. The full picture is far from clear. This analysis only documents just over 500 deaths. With a warning, the department expects the number of recorded deaths to increase. Our children deserve to be found. Our children deserve to be brought home. The U.S. investigation started after what is believed to be hundreds of unmarked graves were discovered at a Canadian residential school in Kamloops, B.C., a discovery that moved the first ever Native American cabinet secretary to tears and then action. I stand on the shoulders of my grandmother and my mother, and the work we will do with the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative will have a transformational impact on the generations who follow. This is something that was most definitely swept underneath the rug. It's not talked about in history class. And it is something that's shameful upon this country. And it is most definitely genocide. On Wednesday, people from around Montana gave emotional testimony about how they've been affected by what they call an epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous people, many of them women and children. It's a crisis and we're reaching out to you guys now, asking you guys for help. Many of those in attendance wore red, a color that has come to symbolize missing and murdered indigenous women. According to the Department of Justice, indigenous women and girls are 10 times more likely to go missing or be murdered compared to the national average. We end today's show in North Dakota, where after a nine-month search, the body of Olivia Lone Bear was found Tuesday in a pickup truck submerged in a lake right near her home on the Fort Bartolt Reservation. The mother of five went missing in late October in Newtown, North Dakota. Her disappearance has sparked renewed attention to the disproportionately high rates of disappearance, rape, and murder of Native American women across the United States, particularly in areas of oil extraction, like North Dakota's Back in Shale, which is the origin point for the Dakota Access Pipeline. Marchers walked through Hardin on Monday morning, demanding justice following the recent death of an 18-year-old woman. Somebody knows something. Somebody knows Family, friends, and members of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Group held the Justice March for Kaysera Stops Pretty Places, whose body was found in Hardin on August 29th. She had been reported missing by her family two days earlier. You know, there is no database, and there hasn't been one. We here at MMIW and in other organizations that help our women, 
We are the ones that come up with that data. We are the keepers of that data. We're the only race that has to do that. If you look at the statistics, there's white or Caucasian, Hispanic, African-American, Asian, and other. We are the other. We have a name. We've been here since before colonial time, time memorial, but yet we are considered other. This is what helps drive that normalization of victimization of our women. And this, sadly, it doesn't just affect tribal reservations. This is happening in our own urban towns, our cities, whole states. You know, it's time for people to sit up and listen, um, for the media to, to listen. You know, in this age of technology, we are still not being heard. The data collection has been an issue. There has not been sufficient data collection. There are multiple reasons for that. The Urban Indian Health Institute has done some data collection, as has Sovereign Bodies Institute, both of those organizations. But at the end of the day, because law enforcement oftentimes does not count the homicide of Native people as a homicide, oftentimes they'll write it off as suicide, even though the factual circumstances around the death make very clear that it would have been physically impossible for the person who died to have killed themselves in that situation. Um, there's just, you know, we've got multiple incidents of, uh, this is really common, of intimate partner violence between partners where oftentimes the Native woman, but also our two-spirit relatives and Native men as well, will be murdered by their intimate partner and it's written off as suicide instead of a homicide. So we know the data is woefully insufficient uh, in urban areas, oftentimes urban Law enforcement off tribal lands will not note whether or not the victim is Native. They'll note usually it's white, black, or Hispanic. And that's, and so if you're not Hispanic or black, you're white. Native isn't an option. So we have an issue with collecting data, but we also know from just talking to our communities and our families that you go anywhere in Indian country and you talk to a Native person, most often someone in their family has been murdered or has gone missing. And in some families, it's multi-generational. I've worked with several families where one grandmother may have had two granddaughters that have been murdered or missing, multiple nieces. It, it's just, it is an absolute crisis of, of significant magnitude. Native women have been over-sexualized and degraded in books, movies, TV, media, ads for clothing and Halloween costumes, you know, making women, me, into fictionalized characters. That plays a huge part in our disappearances because we're not seen as human. Um, for example, Pocahontas and Sacagawea, many people don't know that they were both under the age of 15. That is shocking. Shocking. You know, and Disney portrays them like, oh, you know, love interests. And no, Pocahontas was a slave. Sacagawea was a slave. And... You know, that did us, Disney definitely didn't do us any favors. And it speaks volumes as to why there's little to no media attention when one of our loved ones goes missing or murdered. Our women are so vulnerable due to the normalization of the violence against us in this country. Native women have been counted as missing and murdered just like here in the state of Washington more than any other race. I think Indian law attorney Sarah Deer put it very well. 
She said predators may target Native women and girls precisely because they are perceived as marginalized and outside the protections of American legal system. Over 84% of Native women will experience some form of violence in their lifetime. Over 56% of Native women will experience some form of sexual violence. And so we have a crisis on our hands. And I think the crisis has been going on for a long time. So jurisdictional issues, um, as well as federal laws and the boundaries, oh, they affect us in tragic ways, tragic, tragic ways. You know, the statistics um, about violence against Indigenous women is alarming. And the lack of general awareness is also equally alarming. It, it has caused a lack of general awareness. And it's these challenges that have formed that dangerous environment where Indigenous women, we have been made targets for victimization. Sex trafficking in Indian country you know, again, has been going on for a really long time. And a lot of it is because of the jurisdictional issues between state and U.S. government. And, of course, within our own tribal police, it's like jurisdictional um, issues. You know, like, well, that's not my department. Well, that that's their issue. That's go talk to them about it. And then we get lost in the middle of all of that because it is definitely a federal issue as well. Three out of four Native women will be physically assaulted. The advocates believe that crimes against Native women are underreported and underestimated. 88% of the crimes committed against Indigenous women are interracial. One in three Native American women will be raped in their lifetime. The second leading cause of death for Indigenous girls ages one to four is murder. Rarely do we find laws and policies that protect trans community. Violence accounts for 75% of deaths in Indigenous youth ages 12 to 20. In 1978, the United States Supreme Court decided a case called Oliphant versus Suquamish Indian Tribe. In that case, the Supreme Court held that tribal nations cannot exercise criminal jurisdiction over non-Indians who come onto tribal lands and commit crimes, any crime. And so that eliminated the ability of tribal nations to arrest and prosecute individuals who are non-Indian who commit violent crimes against Indian victims. After that decision in 1978, the rates of non-Indian violence against Native victims on tribal lands skyrocketed. And as Lisa Bruner pointed out, she's a citizen of the White Earth Nation, her daughter was raped by a group of, a sort of little gang of four white teenagers who came onto the reservation and grabbed her daughter off the road, put her in the backseat of their SUV, drove her around, gang raped her, and then dropped her off by the side of the road. This happens because folks have learned that they can do this and there'll be no consequence. The U.S. Attorney's Office is not going to prosecute and the tribe doesn't have that jurisdiction. They were here to hunt. They were here with the intent because they used a condom. They came here with that purpose and intent to hunt because this is a safe haven for them to come as rapists, to hunt and rape us. Tribes do not have criminal jurisdiction over non-Indians, non-Natives, who commit acts of violence against Indians within our own territory. Just this, two weeks ago, the Supreme Court gave that jurisdiction to states. So instead of recognizing the harm that has been done by taking that jurisdiction away from tribes, the Supreme Court gave it to states. And I think a lot of us in Indian country are very alarmed. That's in the Oklahoma versus Castro Huerta decision. Oklahoma told the court, hey, we really care about Native victims and the reason we're fighting for this jurisdiction is because we care about them so much. When everyone here in Oklahoma knows that Oklahoma, the state's never prioritized 
the prosecution of crimes against Native victims off tribal lands. That's just not then a priority. Oklahoma City has the eighth highest unresolved rate of cases of, of MMIP in the country for an urban area. It's just not a priority here, just like it's not a priority in Bighorn County in Montana. Or you could just start naming all of the state jurisdictions where violent crimes against Native people are not a priority. So this idea that, you know, if we give states the jurisdiction that historically and inherently belongs to the tribes, they'll do a great job is very problematic. And Justice Kavanaugh, in writing for the majority in, in this Castro Huerta opinion, said that there really isn't any sovereign interest that tribal nations have in protecting their children from child abuse, which is unfathomable. I can't imagine, I don't know how a human being reaches that conclusion. Of course, as a, as a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, I very much understand the connection between sovereignty and safety for Native women and children. If we can't protect our own people, how will we continue to exist as a nation? Imagine if the United States couldn't protect its own citizens from people who come onto our soil and commit crimes against our citizens because they're citizens of separate nations. That would be an absurd conclusion to reach. It would be a very dangerous conclusion to reach. You'd be promoting terrorism and other acts to say that, well, if someone comes onto our soil and kills U.S. citizens, if they're a citizen of a separate country, we can't prosecute them. But that's exactly what the U.S. Supreme Court has told our tribal nation. We pray for and honor these relatives. Ashley Mike from the Diné tribe. She was nine years old and she was murdered. Carol Swan from the Shichongu Lakota Oyate, the Rosebud Sioux Reservation in South Dakota. She is my auntie. She was murdered. Phoebe Ortegon and her baby boy. She was killed by medical neglect. She's Eastern Shoshone and Northern Arapaho. She is my sister. Stacy Helm, 17 years old from the Red Lake Band of Ojibwe Indians located in northern Minnesota. She was murdered. Fred Martinez, Navajo, 16 years old, transgender, murdered. Jancenta Eagle Deer, Brule Lakota, killed in a hit and run in 1975. There are a number of categories or characterizations of the people who are committing these crimes. A good number, in my experience, are non-Indian intimate partners who in, live in border towns, who are friends very close with the local sheriff. So you've got some racism going on and also corruption and connection, and that's why those crimes don't get prosecuted. We all know who murdered her, but who murdered her is the non-Indian good friend of the county sheriff there bordering the res. The FBI refuses to investigate because they'll do whatever they can to avoid any responsibility for the deaths of Native women and children. And then you're left with the local county, which for racist, corrupt reasons is not going to investigate. Lindsay Whiteman, on the Blackfeet Reservation, we know who murdered her. The Glacier County Sheriff's Office says two women were killed near Browning earlier Tuesday morning in what was first reported as a fatal hit and run. Two teens are in custody in Cascade County for charges related to their deaths. The Glacier County Sheriff's Office identified 38-year-old Lindsay Whiteman and 28-year-old Amy Sue Whitegrass as the victims of the incident that occurred in the Star School area west of Browning, northwest of Browning. Whiteman's family says she leaves behind six children. Two non-Indian 17-year-olds, they were minors at the time, they drove off the reservation with her friend's dead body in their car. They had shot her friend, Amy Whitegrass. They were intercepted by the Great Falls police. But of course, the county and, and sort of local Montana law enforcement there didn't have criminal jurisdiction over the homicide that took place on the reservation. The FBI did. They ended up not doing an investigation. And ultimately, the U.S. Attorney's Office told the family, I'm sorry, we can't prosecute without any evidence in a case file. If the FBI fails to put evidence in a case file, we don't have anything to go off of. How are we gonna prove beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury that even though we all know who murdered them, if there's no case file, there's nothing we can do. So the non-Indian rates are alarming and it's a complete failure of law enforcement to investigate. At the same time, we do have situations where Indians murder Indians predominantly on tribal lands. 
and tribes can prosecute those crimes, but of course tribes are very, their sentencing authority has been limited by Congress in the Indian Civil Rights Act and even in the Tribal Law and Order Act in 2010 to three years for a single offense. You can stack up to nine, but when it comes to homicide, I think many believe that three years is not sufficient for a homicide. On all the cases that I've worked on, the FBI could investigate the homicide of the native person whose family I represent, and they've chosen not to. Sometimes they'll say, well, we can't investigate this homicide because the victim's body was found in one instance, Kaysera stops, Pretty Place's case, 300 yards from the Crow Reservation border. And so the FBI said, you know, because her body was found off the reservation, we don't have jurisdiction to investigate, which one is just not true. The FBI can always assist and an investigation, even if ultimately the federal government doesn't prosecute. The FBI's assisted in multiple homicide investigations, investigations of police brutality in police departments across the United States. And the reason the FBI's done that is because political leadership like President Biden or Attorney General Merrick Garland has instructed the FBI to do so. So the FBI can, it's just, is there the political willpower from this current Biden-Harris administration to make it happen? And we haven't seen it yet. We did see it with the disappearance of Gabby Petito. Press conference on the disappearance of Gabby Petito, who went missing on a cross-country trip with her fiance. <laughs> Gabrielle Petito's laugh and her adventurous spirit would a be A family hard to miss. begging for answers after a cross-country road trip ends in a mystery. 22-year-old Gabrielle Gabby Petito from Blue Point. Gabby's story has dominated news headlines and mobilized a legion of social media detectives. TikTok videos with the hashtag Find Gabby Petito gained over 700 million views. Authorities searching for evidence in the Gabby Petito case while trying to track down her fiance. Well, we could Ryan learn as soon as tomorrow if remains found in Wyoming are those of Gabby Petito, the young woman who'd been missing for weeks. And tonight, police and the FBI are still searching for her fiance. We don't want to downplay the importance of investigating her homicide. Every victim deserves to have their homicide investigated, every victim. But when we saw the reaction to her homicide, we didn't know at first, no one knew if she had been murdered. Of course, that was a strong working assumption, but if she'd been murdered or where she'd been murdered. And the FBI jumped in to investigate immediately. Now, it was a story of a white woman who went missing and I think that's why the FBI cared to immediately assist. But it's very sad that they'll do that for Gabby Petito, but they won't do that for Lindsay Whiteman, or Kisera Stops Pretty Places, or Allison Highwolf, or Rainy Hill, or Olivia Lone Bear, or Henny Scott, or Hannah Harris. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it is the white woman syndrome that other advocates of color, in fact, black women, came up with this phrase to talk about because the same thing happens when other women of color, including black women, are murdered. There just isn't that interest in investigating the homicides. And it's tragic and it's a miscarriage of justice. Since she was first reported missing in Wyoming earlier this month until her remains were found later, the case of 22-year-old Gabby Petito has captured widespread media attention. But tens of thousands of people are reported missing or murdered every year in the U.S. And people of color don't get nearly the same level of attention, particularly indigenous and Native Americans. In Wyoming alone, 710 indigenous people were reported missing between 2011 and 2020. In fact, although indigenous people make up only 3% of the state's population, they accounted for more than 21% of homicide victims over the last decade. And the problem is not limited to Wyoming. Native women are murdered at rates 10 times the national average. The media coverage of Gabby's case has shed light on the inequity for the broader United States that people have been talking about in Indian country for many years. Native women and children and other people of color are often not given the attention and the assistance they need when they go missing. Gabby has been covered on every news outlet in the U.S. and even internationally. But our women and children don't get that same kind of support. 
There have been many devastating cases across Indian country that have never made the mainstream news. Those cases getting media attention and law enforcement attention could have made the difference in someone's life being saved. Colonizers cloaked as Christians, weaponized religion, demarcation for ammunition, blocking out the competition from Toledo to Lisbon. The intercontera fueled the terror via division. Planting your flag has a new definition for the continent and new world. Here come the pilgrims. How can a native be an alien, extraterrestrial, caged up and boxed in? But if access of identify, there's no box to check in. It's a psychological attack on your existence. Predestined for character assassination, which pacifies and blinds the whole nation. Therein, the doctrine of discovery for Christians. Christians is a bunch of greedy white men watching religion, leaving a trail of tears as a digital footprint. Dehumanization with a capitalist intent. Genocide must be authorized by submissive passerbys. Cause the power of the people bring the strength to nullify. The most heinous crime is to comply. If they come for us by day, they'll be coming for you by nighttime. It sounds like the 13th Amendment When freedom is based on contingency And jurisdiction has selective latency Feels like conditional sovereignty We've been searching for um, 13 years for my sister. We've been searching on land. And when Tina Fontaine went missing, we, we wanted the police to search. We put a social media post out that said that the police need to drag the Red River because we knew it had been done in the 1980s to dredge the river to search for bodies because there's over 100 women here in Manitoba that are missing. Families don't know where they are, you know, and like I said, we've pretty much searched all the perimeter of Winnipeg We've searched outside of Winnipeg. We've searched inside Winnipeg. And the police wouldn't search. So we decided that um, we would search. Another family member, his uh, sister's Amber Bosch. She's been missing since November 10, 2010. And he came forward, the brother, and he said, let's, let's drag, let's do it. And we've been doing it now. We're gonna be nine years dragging the river. We've developed a relationship with the police, which is good. Um, if someone goes into the river, they'll now call us, ask us for assistance. Um, we've shared our equipment with them and we've recovered over 2,000 family members out of the river and brought them home. So to describe the Red River here in Manitoba, it's a wide river with a fast moving current. It's very murky. The visibility is almost zero and it's very deep. It's probably 14 to 20 feet deep. A person could not swim across this river, which is why people have drowned in this river, they've committed suicide, or people have chosen to put people in this, this river to hide evidence, to hide a person's body. There's been women that have been found that have been weighted down with rocks or different items. This is a river that the Assiniboine River flows into and then it goes out into Lake Winnipeg. So it's a pretty big body of water. Drag the Red will never ever be able to drag this whole river. People know that water washes away evidence, which is why people are putting Indigenous women into the water. Sadly, it's not unheard of for bodies to end up in the Red River, but two in one day, that is rare, as is the state of one of them, a 15-year-old girl found wrapped in a bag. This is a child that's, that's been murdered. Um, I think, you know, society, we'd be horrified if somebody put, uh, if we found uh, a litter of kittens or pups in the river in this condition, this is a child. So, I mean, society should be horrified. Tina Fontaine was in foster care in Winnipeg, she had a history of running away. Just turned 15. She's barely in the city for uh, maybe a little over a month. And, uh, you know, she's definitely been exploited and uh, put into and, and taken advantage of and murdered and put into the river in this condition. 
So people aren't stupid. When they're doing this, they know that they can get away with it by putting somebody in the water because nobody was searching the water. This young girl, Felicia Solomon Osborne's mom, was given a piece of her arm and a piece of her leg. She was found in the Red River while those two body parts of hers, the rest of her was never recovered. It's spring, and as the Red River thaws in Winnipeg, ugly truths are exposed. Just last year, two girls were dumped here. One killed, one left for dead. Both Aboriginal, both crimes so similar to another one over a decade ago. Felicia Solomon was only 16 when she went missing in 2003. From this river, police fished out her arm and thigh. That's all. I always think how she suffered before her last breath. That was hard. So can you imagine as a mother, you know, finding out that your daughter's been murdered, hanging on to that hope that someday she'll come home because she was a missing person. And a lot of families will hang on to that idea of sex trafficking. Maybe perhaps that, you know, their daughter was trafficked somewhere and someday she'll come home. And we've seen incidences of those, you know, in the United States. We've heard of young people who have gone missing and then in their later years are found. And they're safe, but I'm sure, you know, lots of trauma they've they've had to deal with. So families hold on to, to things like that. And, you know, this young mother was devastated. And that case has never been solved. There was another young woman that was um, in the Assiniboine River that was found that was 18 years old. Tanya Marsden was last seen alive on September 9th, 1998. It was her 18th birthday. She and some friends went to the now defunct Gordon Downtowner Motor Hotel to celebrate. 20 days later, her body was found partially submerged in the Assiniboine River near the perimeter highway. Marsden had been strangled. Her body weighted down with a cement block and dumped in the water. Same thing, her, her full body was recovered, but her case has never been solved. Tina Fontaine, that young 15-year-old girl that I told you about, her body was wrapped in a duvet, weighted down with rocks and thrown into the Red River, probably 100 feet from where Felicia Solomon Osborne's body was found. We've recovered um, evidence from that river that we've turned over to police. People are throwing all kinds of stuff into the river. We've pulled out cars. We've pulled off the hood of a car and the police have gone and taken that car out of the river. We've pulled up shopping carts, lots of clothing, and it's really disturbing when you find lots of underwear, especially children's underwear. Even shoes, you know, when all of these children were being found in Canada here that attended residential school. The discovery is astounding, and so too the anguish, leaving community members and much of Canada reeling. The remains of 215 children, some as young as three, Buried for decades on the grounds of the Kamloops Indian Residential School, their deaths believed to be undocumented, graves unmarked. We were out there and um, that week we were pulling up a few, you know, toddler shoes. And it was very emotional for our our, um, draggers because who knows if that was a young little child whose body was disposed of in there and there's no record of it. And I've told you that there's many undocumented cases of people going missing and police refusing to take a report. So, you know, it it brings you back to that and makes you think about who was that? Who did that belong to? You know, potentially is that someone's loved one? We've been doing this now for almost nine years and it's very emotional for our, our draggers. I've gone out, like I said, probably a dozen times only because, you know, I'm directly impacted, my sister's missing and there's been times where I've been on that rope where I'm pulling up the dragging bar and it's caught on something and I'm not strong enough and there's usually five of us on the boat so there's other people that come onto the rope and help as well. 
pull whatever it is up and there's been times where we haven't been able to pull it up where we've lost our bar because whatever it is down there uh, we can't pull it up it's too heavy and we don't know if it's something that's weighted down we've pulled up pails of cement and turned those over to police and when they went through those pails of cement there was evidence that they found from prior cases so people you know are putting things in the river to get rid of them to conceal them so now we have winches to work with so that we can you know if we're not strong enough to pull this up or we get caught and we lose the bar we can put that winch down there and pull it up we are looking at possibly getting some cameras for underwater searching because there was a time where we thought we found a skull and we'd reported it to the police but it took them a couple days to come and we had GPS the exact place they couldn't find it but we had a camera down there and it showed clearly that it was you know a skull and we were like whose loved one could have that been this movement has happened within the last you know 10 years and like I said it's you know it took the death of a 15 year old to galvanize Canada but I think you know the consciousness needs to be raised of all society and all of humanity regardless of your race your gender your socioeconomic status we're all humans and all lives should be valued and we're sacred beings and we should be treated as such and we should be outraged we should all be standing together we should all be out there helping to search and and supporting families and calling on you know these policing institutions as well as the government calling them out for their lack of support and allowing this to happen because they are allowing it to happen by staying silent and allowing you know the police to under investigate when it comes to indigenous persons in this country You know, our sister's been missing for 13 years. Every waking hour and every opportunity we get to speak about Claudette, we do. We continually search for her. Uh, we're continually supporting other families to make sure that what happened to us doesn't happen to them and that we, we change legislation so that it supports uh, the work that needs to be done to help bring loved ones home. And we continue our advocacy, you know, in, in honor of my sister. We'll never give up searching for her, searching for the answers of where she is, what happened to her. We don't know if, you know, in, in Manitoba, if there's a serial killer, if there's one person, multiple murders walking around. But, you know, somebody's doing this to, to Indigenous women and they're getting away with it. And my sister is loved, she's someone that's missed, and she's someone that we're never going to stop looking for. We'll continue to do this work in her honor, and as long as we're alive, someone's alive in our family, we'll continue to do this until she's brought home. Wait in the water. Save your thoughts and your prayers for the altar Rain fell from the sky, now the earth is baptized Believe it up to man to turn it to a gravesite Families fishing for the answers At Red River calling on the ancestors Authority set up all the rules for a mission So they can pick and choose how to avenge certain victims The chosen measurement is your proximity to white If you ain't blind and blue-eyed, they turn a blind eye Black, brown, indigenous bodies get fetishized While Disney makes pedophilia romanticized The audacity to steal someone else's home Then offer up allotment deciding what they can own A reservation Plantations for greedy men Do these borders keep y'all out or keep them in? Injustice anywhere affects justice for all So we will send their names from Winnipeg to the fall From sea to sea, shore to shore From the heights of the sky to the ocean floor Justice for all humanity that lost their lives Justice for all the families and those that died Justice for all the suffering that comes from these atrocities It's time to call out the government and their hypocrisy
Well, there it is. If you're like me and you need a moment, I understand. Once again, I'm Manny Faces, the audio editor, producer, sound designer, and host of this unique and extraordinary vehicle for exposing truths, the Newsbeat Podcast. And of course, I do a lot of the same for UNFTR as well. So wherever you're hearing us, thank you for listening. The Newsbeat crew also wants to extend a huge, huge thanks to the guests featured on this episode, all the groups they represent and work with, and even those we didn't get a chance to include in this drop. All the organizations mentioned on this episode are Native and Indigenous-led and need support. And we implore you, if you're able, to make a contribution or spread the word and share this episode with your friends, colleagues, family, and loved ones. Every additional person who becomes aware of the MMIW G2S crisis can help make a difference. So, as we always like to remind listeners, feel free to become involved. Now, Bernadette Smith's group, Drag the Red, is all volunteer. To learn more about and support their incredible work in their quest to locate missing and murdered loved ones and bring even some small semblance of potential closure to their grieving families, check out their Facebook group at Drag the Red WPG. They also maintain an account for donations at Assiniboine Credit Union under Drag the Red. Now, Bernadette ran for office to address these dire issues and give them the attention and resources they demand and has been serving as a member of the Legislative Assembly of Manitoba for Point Douglas since 2017. In addition to Drag the Red, she's the co-founder of the Coalition of Families of Missing and Murdered Women in Manitoba and organizes the annual No Stone Unturned concert for missing and murdered in Manitoba. Check out and support all of Bernadette's initiatives on Facebook at Bernadette Smith MB and Twitter at BSmithMB. Feel free to shoot her an email at Bernadette.Smith at yourmanitoba.ca. To learn more about Duanna Johnson and all the critical work being done by her and her team at the nonprofit MMIWUSA, head over to MMIWUSA.org. Check them out on Facebook at MMIWUSA and on Twitter at USA MMIW. If you want to reach out by email, it's contact at MMIWUSA.org. Tell them Newsbeat sent you. For more about Mary Catherine Nagel and all the incredible work she's been doing to raise awareness about the MMIW G2S crisis, as well as her other projects, she's also an acclaimed playwright who's using art to combat associated false narratives and atrocities. More on that another time. Follow her on Twitter at MKNagel, N-A-G-L-E. As I mentioned up top, Mary is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and a lawyer who represents a number of missing indigenous people's families who have lost loved ones. She's also outside counsel and policy consultant to the nonprofit National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. Check out that amazing group at NIWRC.org, on Facebook at NIWRC, and on Twitter at NIWRC. Additionally, learn more about some of the groups Mary mentioned in the episode, including the Urban Indian Health Institute, dedicated to, among other initiatives, decolonizing data related to the MMIWG2S crisis at UIHI.org, and the Sovereign Bodies Institute, which created and maintains a centralized, constantly updated database of such cases at sovereign-bodies.org. And I'll be honest, you know, there was just so much more we learned about this and other related issues while conducting research for this episode, as well as so many other extraordinary groups we came across. There's also a ton more from our guests that we simply couldn't fit into this episode. We'll likely do a follow-up or several in the future to get it all out there. So look for those. But we did want to highlight several other groups, however, right now. The nonprofit Not Our Native Daughters educates and raises awareness about missing, exploited, murdered, and indigenous women and children. Check them out on Facebook at Not Our Native Daughters. Another incredible nonprofit is All Native Women Led Illuminative, which we featured in the past on one of our offshoot series called This Week in Social Justice. Visit them at Illuminative.org or Facebook at Illuminative.org and on Twitter at Illuminative. Check out Native lawyer and distinguished professor Sarah Deer, who Duanna mentioned in the episode, at saradeer.com. Also, visit and support the nonprofit Native Women's Wilderness at nativewomenswilderness.org or Facebook at Native Women's Wilderness and Twitter at Native Women's. You've heard snippets from an incredibly impactful video they made about the stats and victims of violence against Native peoples in the episode, and you definitely need to watch it on their site and support them as well. As I mentioned, all of these groups could use our help. Check out Reconciliation Education, a provider of bilingual online anti-racism training and education courses to businesses, schools, and communities to promote a renewed relationship between Indigenous peoples and Canadians at reconciliationeducation.ca. 
Listen to the talk show and podcast, Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Visit letstalknative.com and follow along on Twitter at Let's Talk Native. Also, visit the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women at csvanw.org. We want to give a special thanks to Jeff Main over at our parent company, Mori Creative Studios, for the powerful artwork accompanying this episode. As Duanna explained to us, the symbol of the MMIWG2S movement is a red handprint across the mouth, signifying the bloody, extinguished voices of its countless victims, and red, according to Native cultures, the color seen by spirits. Last but surely not least, we want to give a special, special thanks to our co-artists and residents for the extraordinary expression you've heard throughout this incredibly important episode. South Carolina, by way of New York City-based hip-hop fusion music artist, DJ, songwriter, educator, and my friend, Liquid. She's one of an ever-growing arsenal of independent artists that we feature and support through this podcast, and we really couldn't do it without her or the rest of our artist family. So please visit her site and learn more about all of her incredible, incredible work at IamLiquid.com. And Liquid is spelled L-I-K-W-U-I-D. Or on Facebook at Liquidity, L-I-K-W-U-I-D-I-T-Y. Or on Twitter at Liquid, L-I-K-W-U-I-D. As always, don't forget to subscribe to our free Substack newsletter at Newsbeat.Substack.com. For updates, new drops, links to all the people and groups mentioned here, and much more. And again, be sure to check us out at Unfucking the Republic on our free Substack over there at unftr.substack.com. A lot of great content on both of those places, and they're free and ungated. For all our previous episodes, extended guests and artist bios, and more information about Newsbeat, visit usnewsbeat.com. For tips and future episode suggestions, hit us up at usnewsbeat at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if what you heard today moved or inspired you, and you want to help us keep doing what we do, consider supporting our cause at usnewsbeat.com slash support. We appreciate you either way. Once again, this is Manny Faces, Newsbeat and UNFTR's audio magician, signing out. Check out my assorted projects and work going down at my company, Manny Faces Media, at mannyfacesmedia.com. More about my public speaking and work to increase awareness and appreciation for hip-hop music and culture's role in helping to uplift humanity at mannyfaces.com. And check out more extraordinary creations from Newsbeat's parent company, HubSpot Diamond Partner Agency, Mori Creative Studios, at moricreative.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Power to the people. Peace and love. I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is Newsbeat. This is a Many Faces Media production. Many Faces! You sick for this one. Sick.